So it was really scary, right? Like I was walking away and I assure you, people were laughing in my face. They were laughing behind my back. They thought it was absurd. And I'm sure if it didn't work out, they wouldn't say like, come on back to your job. It was a huge risk, but I took it. Call them change makers. Call them rule breakers. We call them redefiners. Join us in conversation with daring leaders who are creating extraordinary impact and driving change from around the globe. Each episode gives you a fresh perspective on your leadership and career journey. I'm Hoda Tahoon, a leadership advisor at Russell Reynolds. I'm Clark Murphy, the former chief executive officer and a leadership advisor. And this is Redefiners. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Redefiners. I am very pumped about our guest today, who is a friend and a live wire, to say the least. She's demonstrated she's a voice of reason, a voice of empathy, but in the United States, she talks to truth as well. Refreshingly open, incredibly authentic, and a knack for cutting through the noise to get right to the issues. But before we get into today's guest, I'd like to welcome Hoda Tahoon. Hoda, you've been on the show before, but today is your first as the new official Redefiners co-host. Hoda, welcome to Redefiners. Clark, thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here and to have the privilege to be your co-host. Well, I'm the one who should have the privilege. I'm a little intimidated. As for our listeners who don't know Hoda, she is truly a global citizen. Maybe give us just a little bit of where you grew up and where you've lived, Hoda. Absolutely. So I grew up early years here in the U.S. and then had a chapter of my childhood in Bahrain, came back to the U.S. to go to university, started my career on Wall Street, and then had a chance to go to Dubai and work there after business school. So I've picked up a couple of languages along the way, Clark. Okay, a couple of languages. That's a British understatement. What? <laughs> how many languages do you speak and what are they? So I speak four, um, English, Arabic, French, and Spanish. And I'm working on my fifth one, Portuguese. More power to you. Just for fun. We're taking the podcast to Rio. <laughs> Here we go. Well, tell us about our guest and what's going on today. Well, I am very, very excited about our guest, who, by the way, I'm a huge fan of. It is none other than Stephanie Rule. She's the host of MSNBC's The 11th Hour. You can catch her all over MSNBC and NBC as a senior business analyst. She's a Wall Street veteran who brings a unique style to hard-hitting interviews. Stephanie is also a producer, a fellow podcast host, and a champion of women's leadership development. Stephanie, welcome to Redefiners. So many nice things. Well, first, I'm going to say, Clark, you're in good company because I just met with the president and he told me I was a live wire. So there you go. Hey, what else can I say? You know, I'm just following in the wake of your great guest and to have you as a guest is fantastic for us as well. How are you doing today? How late were you up? How early were you up? Come on. Listen, I am on TV late at night. I'm on TV at 11 o'clock at night, which is an awesome privilege because we've got such a big audience. But The dirty little secret is when you get off air at midnight, you are wired. (laughs) I mean, I'm, I'm to the point where I'm, I'm going to, I'm about to become a bouncer at a Times Square nightclub on the graveyard shift because (laughs) you cannot fall asleep for hours and hours that that is a challenge. But no, I've been up pretty early today, uh, actually doing some interviews because we are just rounding our one year anniversary for me hosting the 11th hour on MSNBC. And I've just got a full stack day, a big show tonight and. As a working mom, my daughter's in a talent show tonight. So as soon as I leave here, I'm headed over to hair and makeup duty. Well done. Let's roll the tape back a little bit for those outside the U.S. who don't know the first career of yours on Wall Street, where in the credit derivatives business, maybe top performer in the U.S., covering hedge funds, 
And then you decide to go to your true passion, which becomes the television, which everybody sees every day. How did the idea start? Where did it come from? And how did this all happen? It's sort of a crazy story. Thank you for asking. Uh, I did. I started my career in investment banking. I went to college in the U.S. I went to Lehigh, and I originally thought I was going to study engineering. And when I decided not to do that, I had an older sister who had just graduated from architecture school. And I said, what am I going to do? And she said, go abroad. Go abroad for as long as you can. I just started my first job, and I have two weeks off a year. And so I did. So I ended up leaving the country, and I went and I studied in Guatemala, Kenya, and Italy. And while I was living in Italy, I wanted to stay, but I had no money. So I thought, what job could I get? And I wrote letters to Lehigh alumni. I started a little networking when I was, what, 19. And I got a job with Merrill Lynch for a summer. And before the summer started, the group in Switzerland where I was supposed to work all quit. So I came back and I went to work for Merrill Lynch in New York for the summer. And I had some terrible back office internship. But one day I had to make a delivery onto the fixed income trading floor. And a trading floor basically looks just like a newsroom, right? Multiple football fields, screaming, yelling, winning, losing, all the passion on the table. And I thought, I don't know what anybody here does for a living, but this is what I want to do. <laughs> and I met two, and I say this in the most loving way, complete nerds. And I said to them, if I come in early and I, I come back down here after I'm done with work, can you teach me what you do? And they were in interest rate derivatives. And they said, yes. And I ended up spending the summer with these guys. And then I ended up interviewing for all these different banks to get into the sales and trading programs. And I come to New York for this, you know, they have these super days where you go and you interview at the banks for like all day long. And the night before I go to the interviews, me and these two guys and a few of their friends, they were all like 27, take me out to dinner. And they all worked at banks and they conducted a lot of these interviews. And they started talking at dinner about all those crazy word problems you get asked in banking, you know, like the, there's two trains going down a track. One's going <laughs> 60 miles. One's going, I mean, like questions I could never have answered if my life depended on it. The next day I show up, I start this whole week of interviews and I get asked the exact questions I had heard the night before. It was like accidentally cheating. I knew all the answers, like <laughs> 42, 76, Toledo. So I end up uh, getting a job with Credit Suisse in their sales and trading program. I went there right out of undergrad. I worked at Credit Suisse for six years, but early on, I thought maybe I wanted to leave the industry and get into television. I was always interested in the media. I was always interested in the idea that news happening on the other side of the world when you're asleep is going to impact your day when you wake up. Now, funnily enough, Wall Street has the same impact, right? Whatever's happening in Hong Kong impacts you when you wake up in New York. That's the same in the news. That's the same in the media. And I almost left Credit Suisse to go to journalism school a hundred years ago. And at the time, a guy named Nasser Ahmad, who I worked with at Credit Suisse said, do not go to journalism school. And he said, no offense to you, but um, your sensibility will not work outside New York. <laughs> and the way journalism works, you're going to be in some small market. And he said, you're a lot of things, but you're not uh, family friendly. You're not folksy. You're not corny. And he said, you better stay doing this. And he said, and eventually you'll figure it out. And the truth is, Wall Street's a great business. It's a great business for women. Uh, and I, I thought early on, I maybe would want to shift careers, but wouldn't it be great if I could make a lot of money or save a lot of money and then be able to shift careers while I had that money saved? And so I cranked it out. I ended up really having an awesome career. I absolutely loved working in banking. And about 12 years in, I started to do public speaking. I founded our Women's Network. I started thinking a little bit more about the media and I had that silly notion that everyone does. Oh, I'm going to network and it'll happen. Or I'm going to get it seated next to the head of a TV network at a, at a, at a dinner party. And they're going to be so impressed by me. Like 
anybody who thinks that or thinks like only networking is the answer, it's just nonsense. Like that's like buying a Powerball ticket as your like recipe for your savings in life. That's so true. At that point, I had done more and more public speaking, more women's leadership things. I had done some TV as a guest. And one day I was at a board meeting for a nonprofit called the White House Project. And the corporate council, which was all senior women in business, were together. And the founder said, women and minorities always get lumped together. Women and minorities. And she said, but if you take the 50 most powerful black men in the United States, they do way more for each other than the 50 most powerful women. She said, we help each other get into business, come back after we have a baby. But at the top level, once a woman joins a corporate board, is she really thinking about what other woman am I getting on this board? Probably not. And she said, each of you need to say what you want to do next. And someone else at the table has to say, I'm going to get you there. What a great idea. And it was my turn. And I said, you know, it was 2011, 12. I said, I've always wanted to work in the media. And especially since the financial crisis, the financial industry has done the worst job rebranding itself, telling its story. But the truth is, finance pays for the American dream. This is the country with the greatest entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. the greatest secondary education system. And I said, I want to tell those stories. And there was a woman at the table who happened to run human resources at Bloomberg. <laughs> and she said, it's me. I'm going to get you there. And the next day, I had lunch with Andy Lack, who ran Bloomberg Media. Yeah. And Andy said, in the new world of media, you don't have to know how to be on TV. You don't have to go to journal. He goes, you don't have to read a teleprompter. He said, you need to know the content, love the content, and the audience has to like you. And I said, I have one and two better than anyone that works for you. Number three will be a risk, but I'm going to mitigate the risk for you. You can pay me the lowest amount of money of anybody who works in this entire company. You just have to give me a show to anchor and hire someone to teach me how to be on TV. And I credit a guy named Todd Boley, who runs Security Life Benefit. Uh, he, he's partial owner of the Dodgers. He owns a soccer team in, in, uh, in the UK. Todd is the one who said, go in there and risk manage. Make the risk to them so low. They have to pay very little money. They can fire you at any time, but they have to actually give you a real opportunity. And Andy Lack said yes. And that was that. You jumped in and were you nervous? Were you worried? I mean, I was completely nervous. But here's the thing. Either way, I was taking, and I think this is, right, lots of people are always like, I want to make a move. Like, I want to make a switch. I took a 90% pay cut. Not a 50%, not a 15, not a 90 And Wall Street is an industry that it's a mean, bitter industry that doesn't welcome you back. So it was really scary, right? Like I was walking away and I assure you, people were laughing in my face. They were laughing behind my back. They thought it was absurd. And I'm sure if it didn't work out, they wouldn't say like, come on back to your job. It was a huge risk, but I took it. There you go. Stephanie, that's amazing. And it's obvious that you've let your personality shine in every aspect of your live broadcasts, and you haven't been shy to show emotion or share your political stance. Journalists often subscribe to a very public neutrality, sometimes detachment. Can you talk about your personal flourishes in your reporting? So I would say I don't actually have a, a political stance that's rooted in ideology, but I care, right? Like everything I do, my goal is how do I help people get better and smarter? How do I meet interesting people? How do I form great relationships? I didn't get into TV until I was 36. So by the time you're 36, you know what you look like, you know what you sound like, you know how you dress, good or bad. There's not that much you can do to change it. And while I think that the media gets painted as being super biased, 
I would say I'm biased in that I want the world to be better and smarter for my kids. I think all of us should feel the responsibility that we want to give our kids a better world than we got. And if I can be part of that, I want to be. And so I think that I'm myself. And if I screw up on TV or if I get things wrong, if I can build relationships, people will trust me. Mark Zuckerberg, of all people, about six years ago, did this tour of all 50 states. And his takeaway at the end was people don't trust information. They trust relationships because you can get information from anywhere. But if I can resist the urge to say something for the sake of saying it or going over the top or taking it too far, and every once in a while I do, and if I can just slowly build relationships and gain credibility and people know exactly who I am, I think that's going to help me win out in the long run. Like I love it when, when people get really fired up and they're like, oh, we found her secret out, that Stephanie rule, that corporate stooge. <laughs> she used to work in banking. I'm like, where'd you find it? In my Twitter bio? Like, this is who I am. This is what my background is. So pulling on that thread, you come into 11th Hour. It's an institution. It's got a way of doing things. But yet you have been making it yours. What's the balance of fresh, new Stephanie, but kind of saying, okay, this is what this is and what people expect at the 11th hour. How do you balance it? Slow and steady. I would say almost every opportunity I've ever had in my life, I've tap danced and hustled and climbed my way there. And I, I didn't necessarily with the 11th hour. And it was a huge privilege. I have a friend of Brian Williams. I'm a fan. I was a frequent guest. And I think Brian built this amazing show that at the end of the day was a place where people could say, here's all the crazy that happened today. What does it mean? And so when I got the show, I remember, you know, kind of sitting down and sitting down with people in marketing saying like, do you want to change the name? Do you want new segments? Do you want to do that? And I was like, change the name? Oh my gosh, with a last name like Rule, you must have a kitschy new name. Like it doesn't <laughs> matter what the name is, right? There's not that many new ideas. There's not that many new segments. Like you just have to try to help your audience get better and smarter. And especially at the end of the day, chances are you're the last thing they see at night. Brian Williams, in a very short amount of time, built a very special destination viewing program. My goal over the next year is to keep the water warm, is to keep everybody inside the boat, and over time, make it my own, right? So for me, following the money is a huge focus. I believe that most people aren't super political they don't actually trust the government. They don't understand finances. And I want them to. And if we can cover that, if we can cover government oversight, if we can talk to influential people in politics and business and media and sports, that's going to be a win for us. And so far, it's going really well. On this question of mistrust and misinformation that's out there, I mean, you've done an incredible job bridging the ideological divide that's in the U.S. How do you push through a lot of the mistrust Tell the truth as much as you can and build relationships, right? I, I can't change the fact that every night there are millions of people watching and listening to news that isn't true. And I can go down the rabbit hole of these conspiracy theories and fight them. Or I can just say, you know what? I'm going to try to not be a provocateur, right? And if you look at who are those provocateurs right now, chances are they're people who don't have platforms, right? I have the benefit of yeah. getting to work at NBC News. Mm -hmm. I don't need to throw fire on Twitter to get a rise out of people. And so I think it's about slow and steady. Now, I also think you can cover cultural hot button issues, but you can cover them in a slow, responsible, educated way. You know, a couple of years ago, a very good friend of mine, Questlove, the drummer from The Roots, mm -hmm. uh, Oscar award winner, came on my show and 
we talked about the N-word. And we talked about it because I have two teenage sons that love rap music. And just saying to my sons, this word is banned from your vernacular, chances are they will listen because they're scared. But what if they didn't? And so I sat down with Quest. And because Quest and I are friends, Mm -hmm. because we trust each other, because there's no gotcha and there's a history, I said, help me. Mm -hmm. Help me explain to my sons why this matters and why they shouldn't use this word. Because I often think when the media covers cultural issues or hot button issues, they don't do it in a thoughtful way. They do it in a way where everyone's just getting in their corners and fighting. But most issues, the answer is a little bit gray and it's confusing. Mm-hmm. Everyone gets so like fired up and immediately like excited and angry uh, on things that are, that are in the gender space and the LGBTQ plus space. Now, I consider myself an aspirational ally who's always trying to learn. It doesn't mean I know the answers. It doesn't mean I'm not going to offend somebody. But if every day you know me or you're watching me and you know that at least I'm trying, then are you really going to cancel me when I say something wrong? I think the answer is no. You know, that's a really smart way to look at it. And then how do you stay optimistic with some of this divide and some of the polarization that's happening right now? I don't buy into it, right? Like, let's be honest. There are huge institutions, whether it's it's government institutions, whether it's the media that are digging deeper into the divisions and monetizing it. Mm -hmm. You can make the decision to stay out of it. Now, it will prevent you from being hot, right? There are people who are provocateurs who are always in the headlines and they're fighting this one and fighting that one. What if you didn't? And as ridiculous as this sounds, every night when I leave my show, From 12 to 12.15 on my way home, before I do Wordle, (laughs) I respond to all my haters on Twitter. And I always respond in a constructive way, or I thank them, or I DM them and I explain myself if they hate what I did, because I just think we have now defaulted to saying, I expect Clark Murphy to say X, Y, or Z. And if he doesn't, I'm mad at him. Or I expect Hoda to fill this role. And, and, what if you just reminded people like, you know what? I should ask that question or, or I made a mistake. Or when someone is saying that I'm an old, ugly witch on TV, then I respond to them too. And I would say that sometimes people say sorry. Sometimes people delete it. Uh, sometimes people come around and every once in a while people double down. And if they do, they already hate tweeted at me. So who cares? But I really do believe that love is the most powerful emotion. People think of it as the weakest. It's the most powerful. Mm -hmm. It's what drives everything in the world. It's what starts wars. And if instead you said, what if I just gave people the benefit of the doubt? What if I loved more? And I would say, I didn't do that in the first half of my career. I fought every fight. My elbows couldn't have been sharper. And maybe that's the industry that I worked in or the space I was in, but it only makes you win in the short term. It doesn't make for a full or a happy life. So what if you gave people the benefit of the doubt and every once in a while got burned? I'd rather live my life that way. The benefit of the doubt, that is a great approach to life. Stephanie, about a year ago, you took one of your sons to Poland to volunteer with Ukrainians who were fleeing their homes. Can can you tell us about that? Our trip to Poland and Ukraine was amazing. And this all kind of started because I was compartmentalizing and I was covering the news every day and I was so exhausted from it. I wasn't talking about it at night. And then I would hear my boys who are 16 and 14 say things that were categorically false because, you know, 
God knows what and who they follow on social media. And I thought, I need to change this. And and one of the reasons we went to Poland is I remember being at school pickup and I don't fault anyone for it. But, you know, when you're in your vacuum here of school and competitive sports and your New York lifestyle, things happening on the other side of the world are the last thing on your mind and they can't be. Mm-hmm. And so my oldest son and I went and we volunteered with the Polish Red Cross with World Central Kitchen for about two weeks. And it was an amazing experience. And I remember my son and I standing in this, in this line making sandwiches. And he said to me, man, when you're here, it doesn't matter if you're failing a class, if your girlfriend broke up with you, if you can't pay your rent, if you're depressed. When you're in this moment, the only thing you can think about is getting four slices of cheese on this bread. Mm-hmm. And I just think having my kids be part of these lived experiences is more important than like, God, look at all these things we're like pushing kids to do. Like start a club, start a hashtag, start a foundation. Mm-hmm. You need a network and you need to find a sponsor. Like enough with all that like cocktail party talk, just do the work. So like my middle son and I over Thanksgiving break went to Fort Myers, Florida and volunteered with Team Rubicon for a week, basically doing home remediations, which the dirty little secret, I would say, and this is like my parenting hack of doing all these kinds of projects with your kids is it's actual quality time. When you're doing a project with your kid, nobody has their phone on them. Nobody has a friend that they can call. They're in the moment with you. And trust me, when my son and I got home from, we'd been together 24 hours a day for six days straight. And when we walked into our house in New York City, I think he closed his bedroom door and didn't look at me for three days. And <laughs> it's it's that time together where I'm not asking my kids to be philanthropists. I'm not asking them to care about others, but they naturally will. And I can tell you, when my oldest son, when we were volunteering at a border crossing, I watched his face. When he saw boys who looked like him, who sounded like him, carrying their younger children and, and all their family's belongings out of a bus and, and through this border crossing, I know that impacted my son. Now, does it mean he's going to write about it for his college essay? Who the hell knows? Like, it doesn't matter what my son writes for a college essay in two years, right? It doesn't matter if it means he'll be a future leader of America. It means in his consciousness, he's going to give a shit. And that's what I want for my kids. We'll be right back with Stephanie. But first, we'll hear from Nicole Mai, an executive director in our Hamburg office. She will talk about how leaders can and must build public trust. When we receive information, whether it be from a news anchor or a CEO, we want to know that we can rely on them to tell us the truth. While public trust in media and government institutions has been on the decline, business leaders can be regarded as unifying trustworthy forces. Trust can be a powerful catalyst to grow your organization effectively and harmoniously. Our report in Leaders We Trust shares insight into how to build trust so your team can thrive. The report succinctly lays out the four types of trust as well as the common traits of trusted leaders. For tips on establishing trust in all of its forms, please visit the link in the show notes. Now back to our conversation with Stephanie. Stephanie, you're somebody who walks the walk and talks the talk of doing the work. And you founded the Corporate Investment Bank Women's Network and you're co-chairing Women on Wall Street. How have you seen conditions for women improve over the last number of years? 
both in the business side on Wall Street, but also in the media world. Sometimes I'm I'm a bad arbiter because it's like I've been in the asylum so long. I don't know what's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think things have improved across corporate America. And I would ask Clark this. If you would have said 15 years ago to a CEO, what are the most important qualities? They might say like tough, independent thinking, later, strong. I don't think anyone would have put the word empathetic Mm -hmm. on the top of their list. Mm -hmm. And I think now it's the top three things. I think that across industries, whether it's banking or media, they've made huge strides in trying to recruit more people and different people and different perspectives. Now, am I impressed that the next generation of workers, of leaders are so strong and strident? I'm impressed. But at the same time, I think that there's lessons that they could learn too. And I worry that the pendulum has swung so far in that I think there's a lot you can learn from more senior people in business. And I think that especially around women and harassment, as businesses have looked to improve and sanitize things, I hope it hasn't taken the humanity out of things because it's it's personal connections. It is not networking events, but it's real mentorship. It's people working late at night, working together that makes a difference. And um, I do think that people meet and, and fall in love at work, right? I met my husband in, in my training program at Credit Suisse. And so I think that in general, I think we've made great policy changes, but I think that nothing is black and white, not in our personal lives, not in our professional lives. And I think we all need to give each other a little bit more grace. What guidance would you give leaders as they think about their own organizations and creating those opportunities for women beyond mentoring and some of the other formal things? Keep open minds and open hearts. I think back when I first started on Wall Street, I remember my husband and I didn't even know each other. We were in the same training program at Credit Suisse. But when he and I first set foot onto a trading floor, he, being an Ivy League graduate who played lacrosse, had a huge network of guys that were immediately there mm-hmm. to mentor him, to train him, to hook him up. And it's not that there's a correlation between being a good attackman or a defenseman or an all-American <laughs> lacrosse player means you're going to do a good job trading equities, but that is a network. And I watch my network, my husband have that network today, where at 50 years old, he's on the phone with undergrads, telling them about the financial industry, talking to them about training programs. Mm-hmm. I don't begrudge him for that. I want to replicate it. And, and I just want to create more networks like that. So if you didn't grow up in a family that knows about finance, that you could have that opportunity, or if you didn't go to a journalism school, or if you didn't go to a top five school that recruits for the NBC page program, I just want more non-target people that have an amazing work ethic and true hustlers to get more opportunities. That's it. We don't need another conference. We don't need another mission. We just need to think outside the box. And be active. I think you said something earlier about someone gets on the board and then they don't help anybody. I agree with you about the empathy gene, how much we've heard because of the pandemic and authenticity. That's why you're got this show at 11 o'clock at night. I have three daughters breaking their way in their mid-20s into their careers, and they're saying, Who, who's my mentor, dad? What's the network? And you're like, just get to know some people. <laughs> and, and they're trying to pull their partners into the office so they can, you know, get to know them. I, I watch this happening. You can see it unfold. But Claire, look what we're saying to young people. Everything is like, find a mentor, find a sponsor, go to a networking event. Like, stop it. Like, you're not going to go to a networking event and meet Clark Murphy 
and you're going to realize that you and Clark are from the same hometown or you went to the same college and Clark (laughs) is going to say, I'm going to make you my mentee. It doesn't work that way, right? Like if I go to an event and, and 32 women say, can we get, get, get a coffee after? If I drank those 32 cups of coffee, I would die from caffeine exhaustion. (laughs) You're nobody's charity case, right? Be good at your job. Be interested. Be interesting. Don't leave work at four o'clock to go to a networking event. Be good at your job and then look on the outside. And when people see that you're a talent, they will naturally become your mentor. Not if they're your boss, but because they want to be in business with you. Be good at your job, I I think, is one of the take-homes. Just be good and then put your hand up. So, Stephanie, on this show, we like to talk about pivotal moments in our guests' lives, and we call it a redefiner moment. What was that moment for you? When I stopped having long-term goals, I think that early in my career, I would put my head down and grind it out and I would suffer, I guess, but I suffer because I would say, I, if I just do this, by the end of the year, I'm going to get X. Or if I just do Y, I'm going to get this. And then the end of the year comes and that jerky boss leaves or screws you over or that opportunity doesn't come. And then you look back and you say, I just wasted that year, mm-hmm. right? There's only a few things we have no control of, right? We have no control of time, the weather, and our health. So those are three things that I really honor up here. And so I made a decision about 10 years ago to stop living my life for long-term goals and to try to be happy today. And if I can create a positive environment for myself and the people around me, then that's going to be a winning strategy. And then at the end of the year comes and I don't get that great opportunity or I don't get that promotion. Well, guess what? I still had a great year. Because you've been living in the now yeah, and enjoying each of the moments along the way. It changed my life in a really, really, I would say, profound way. Yeah. Speaking of living in the moment, you work in live television. Talk about pressure. But we have some sense of it ourselves, whether it's in the boardroom or in front of our clients of paddling madly underwater, but looking around to try and look cool as a cucumber. Do you have moments when things go sideways? And what's it like? What happens? Um. They happen all the time. It's just a constant reminder that you are on live television and um, this can all come back to bite you. And I would just say the lesson that I learn is um, don't be overtired. You know, when whenever Fox News or a far right media outlet will do a, a segment making fun of me or, or calling me out, the truth is a portion of what they're saying about me is always true. And I even found that whenever they would do these segments on me, it would be on a Thursday or a Friday when I was tired or a little sloppy on air or like a little over my skis. And, you know, I can remember um, during the Trump administration, it was during the Stormy Daniels and her lawyer, Michael Avenatti. And I remember not feeling good about Michael, like always feeling like he was a little bit fishy and never putting him on air and saying, I don't want this guy on our air. I know everybody else is. It's a no for me. It's a no. And one day... I don't even remember what the breaking news was, but they were in my ear and they said, something just came out. Michael Avenatti can do a phoner. So I said, fine, because it was on live TV and I didn't have time to stop and think about it. And we always have time. We just have to have the discipline to make that time. But I said, okay. So he comes on TV and I don't even remember what it was, but I said to him, you know what, Michael? Maybe I was wrong about you, brother. Maybe you know exactly what's up. And then we did the interview. And you know what? Now, That stupid one line that I said is on every single compilation video that far-right people use when they say, like, the media had a love affair with Michael Avenatti. And that dumb 
30 seconds. And so I would just say it's the mistake I make and live TV is the perfect place to make it because you're on live is to just fly by the seat of your pants. You always have a second to think and say, is this the right thing to do? And having the discipline to do that isn't easy, especially at a time when people go viral, the crazier they are. I just think pull in the crazy and there's more longevity ahead. There you go. I love that. Well, listen, uh, we like to end each podcast with a couple of rapid fire questions. It's where we ask you a series of questions, respond on the spot. Don't get time to think about it. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. <laughs> okay. What's the first thing you check when you wake up in the morning? Sadly, Twitter. If your kids decide to be journalists, what will you tell them? Yay or nay? Yay. <laughs> <laughs> what are you reading right now? Nothing. Finally, someone answers that question honestly. That's good. Who has the top spot on your interview bucket list? Elon Musk. That's a good one. How many hours of sleep do you get a night, really? Not, not enough. Honestly, it's an embarrassingly low number, and it's the biggest problem in my life right now. And what do the kids say around Saturday afternoon? Mom, are you sick? You don't look that good. Because it's what I look like with no TV makeup on. Every week they ask me if I'm sick. And I'm like, no, this is just what I look like. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, listen, Stephanie, thanks for being here. You know, a couple of reflections. Um, trust is the word you use most, whether you know it or not. You got into the media business with a 90% pay cut because you said, I need to know the content, love the content, and I want audiences to like me. But what you really said was you want audiences to trust you. You're going to meet interesting people. You want to show you care. And if you build trusting relationships, you gain credibility to ask the questions that you want to ask so you get more authentic answers. I'm surprised to hear you say you're slow and steady. I actually think that's bullshit, but that's okay. But you slow are and steady and in that. I didn't make a career change, Clark, <laughs> until I was 36, right? Here's when I made a career change, when I knew my rent was covered for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And you listen to all these people who are like, I want to make a change. I want to jump out the window. I want people to make a change, but I don't want them to jump out the window. I want them to walk down all the stairs. That's what I would say. I would say. And slow and steady is as you've approached building your own credibility in the media business, which, which no one knows that now because you're seen by too many people and they see who you are. But a couple of us who've watched you do this, I, I was on your show in Bloomberg when you were pregnant with Drew. I mean, that's a long time ago. Uh, but you have taken a slow and steady. You break down complex questions. As you say, I'm not complex. So I ask the questions that everybody wants to ask. Some people dig into division and monetize it. You said, I want to go into the gray. I don't need to go into the black and white. And I, I like that a lot. And that love's the most powerful emotion. Clark, it is, right? The, the craziest stories make the biggest headlines. But in every town, in every city, in every community, people are doing good things for neighbors, for friends, for strangers every day. And we just need to celebrate more of that. I agree. Every person out there started good and they're forgotten or they're angry or they're pissed for a reason. Let's give them a reason not to be pissed. I like that. Don't be black and white. Be real. Your advice, be visible. Go get it. Go get it. And don't, don't <laughs> stick to someone else's program of where you should be when. Be authentic. Be yourself. Because as you said, you can't control time, weather, or your health. So maximize what you've got. And, and don't be overtired. I'm going to have to listen on that one. Don't be <laughs> overtired. Be who you are. Well, overtired might be a way of life for a couple of us. But Stephanie... You're the best. Thanks for being here on a busy day. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you both. I appreciate the opportunity. You got it. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Adios, amigos. Adios. 
Thanks for joining us on this episode of Redefiners. For more compelling insights from leaders across industries and around the world, listen to Redefiners wherever you get your podcasts. And to learn more or to get in contact with us, visit our website at russellreynolds.com, find us on LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter at RRA on Leadership.